So what we're doing today is we are wrapping up our sermon series in the Gospel of Mark. And so this entire summer we've been looking at the Gospel of Mark and this sermon series has been entitled the, the Cross and the Crown. If you look at the Gospel of Mark, it is the it has a very unique style to it. Mark is telling this Gospel s- story in a very brief way. He's very quick. If you look at uh, Mark, his... One of the, the words that jumps out over and over again is the word immediately. And he, Mark is telling the gospel story very quickly so that you would be faced with two questions. The, those questions are, who is Jesus Christ? And what does it mean for you to follow Jesus Christ? Those are the two questions that he is putting uh, forward before you. And as he is putting uh, these two questions before you, he wants you just to come face to face with uh, the, really your own life, with, uh, with, with uh, the question of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. And so today we're looking at Mark 16 verses 1 through 8, and this is the very end of Mark's gospel. So let's dive into uh, this, 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 our scripture passage. So Mark 16 verses 1 through 8, you can follow along in your worship guide or on the walls behind me. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He was risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Let me pray for us one more time. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this good news that Jesus was resurrected and that he is risen. Father, help us now as we we look at your word. May your spirit uh, bring your word to into our hearts, and that we would know you more clearly and dearly because of your word today. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Now throughout history, there have been times when a a war would end, but yet the losing side would keep fighting, even after their generals surrendered. And it happened twice uh, in American history, perhaps uh, the, the two most famous examples of this. But once was during the American Civil War. The Southern General Robert E. Lee surrendered. Uh, he, he accepted the, these terms of unconditional surrender on April 9, 1865. But due to various skirmishes, due to other generals holding out, uh, it did not, it, it did not, the war did not end on April 9th. It took until August 20th, 1866 for President Johnson to declare that the war was over. One other time this occurred was during World War II, and while the Japanese surrendered to the United States on September 2nd, two weeks later, Allied forces liberated a prison 
a, a prisoner of war camp. And they discovered, as they liberated the, the, these prisoners, they discovered death orders where ja the Japanese scheduled to murder 2,000 prisoners just four days later. This is the world that we live in. And these examples give us a picture into our life, given Jesus's, given the fact that Jesus defeated death, given the fact that Jesus defeated sin in his resurrection. We live in this moment where Jesus has already won. He has defeated sin. He has defeated death. But we do not see the full consequences of that yet. We live in this moment that theologians call the already but not yet. We live in this moment where Jesus has already won, but we do not yet see that fully. And we live in this tension. And as we live in this tension, Jesus has won. But we, we are still living amid this misery of sin. But nonetheless, the simple fact remains that Jesus has defeated sin. He has defeated death. He is alive, he is resurrected, and this news is meant to be known. This news is meant to be celebrated, is meant to be shared. Jesus is risen. This is wonderful news because death is defeated, sin is conquered, Jesus is alive. And because of what Jesus has done, we are able to be alive as well. That's our hope. And so the, the entire idea uh, that I want to look at today is what is really what does it look like for us to live in light of Jesus' resurrection? One writer put it this way, that we are an Easter people in a Good Friday world. We are an Easter people in a Good Friday world. So what does it look like for us to live as an Easter people? And I, I want to really look at this, at this text by just really considering uh, what Mark is telling us. Because Mark is telling us this news in a, his very typical style. He's very quick. He's very brief. He simply shares the news that Jesus has risen and he moves on. He does not get into the, he does not really get into some of the more colorful details that we see in other gospel accounts. He just tells us the story very quickly. And so how I want us to look at this passage is, like, I have th really three points for us to, to, to consider. But the first thing I want to, us to consider is the witnesses to the resurrection. The witnesses to the resurrection, we see this in verses 1 through 3. And we, at the very start of this text, we see these witnesses coming to the tomb, and they are three women. We, we find three women going to the tomb, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James, and Salome. And Mark actually, at this moment, breaks from his usual style. He mentions these women two other times very in, 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 in near proximity to, to these verses. If you look at 15 verse 40 or 15 verse 47, he mentions Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome. He mentions their names. He is drawing our attention to the fact that these three women are the witnesses to Jesus' resurrection. They witness, in fact, Jesus' death, his burial, and his resurrection. These are three women who are going to know for certain where Jesus is, is buried. And so they're coming today when the Sabbath was passed. They're coming on this day to anoint Jesus' body with spices. And they were, at, they were forced by the Sabbath day to wait a full 24 hours 
to anoint Jesus' body because on the Sabbath day, one could not touch a dead body. And so Mark wants us to see their love for Jesus. Mark wants us to see their devotion for Jesus. This is something that they did as early as they possibly could. They did not delay. They did not wait a couple extra days. They are going to the tomb very early on the first day of the week before the sun. Like, not before, but when the sun had risen. And so they loved Jesus and they were devoted to, to him. But nonetheless, even though they loved Jesus, even though they were devoted to Jesus, they still expected Jesus to be dead. They expected Jesus to be in this tomb. And so they say to one another, who is going to roll away this this stone for us? It was very large, in fact, as Mark adds in verse 4. And so as they are coming to this tomb, let's just be honest, uh, every single one of us would expect the same thing. We would still expect Jesus to be in this tomb because death is our greatest enemy. Death is the one enemy that every single person except Jesus has lost to. Death has defeated every single person. Every one of us dies, in other words. And so the women expect the same thing of Jesus. But should they have expected the same thing for Jesus? Should they have expected Jesus to be, still be in that tomb? The answer is no. And this is because Jesus spoke of his resurrection earlier in, in the, the gospel accounts. We find it in Mark, in Mark 8, in Mark 10. But specifically, Jesus is telling his disciples, I'm going to rise again from the grave three days after I am killed. And just consider these words by those who pass by Jesus while Jesus is on the cross. This is Mark 15. We looked at this passage last week. Those who were passing by the cross say, You who would destroy the temple would rebuild it in three days. Save yourself and come down from the cross. And later, what we find in John 2 in a different gospel account, the disciples would understand that when Jesus said these words that he was going to tear down the temple and rebuild it in, in three days. In John 2, we find out that, they, that the disciples discovered that Jesus was referring to his own resurrection when he said this. And so Mark is telling us the story that these women are coming to this tomb. They were expecting Jesus to be in, in this tomb. And so Mark is just telling us the story. Very matter-of-factly, just giving us the details, just giving us the facts, just giving us the real historical record of the resurrection. Now, there are some who actually dismiss the resurrection by saying that it is mere legend. But let me just address the skeptic in, in our own hearts. And so perhaps you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ, and so you're, and you, because you're, you're also a skeptic, like many of us. But So let me just address the skeptic in our hearts. This is actually uh, a text that challenges our skepticism. Because he's giving us a very factual and detailed account of Jesus' resurrection. Mark is not trying to reframe or recast the women in this story in the best light possible without flaw or failure. In fact, Mark is doing the opposite. He's telling us that these women, with all their, their flaws, with all their brokenness, he's doing the complete opposite. And so I'll come back to the significance of, uh, 
of that in a moment, but let me just keep going and addressing the our own little skeptic. The fact that the women were the first witnesses to the resurrection is significant for us. It's significant because women in the ancient world had no legal standing. And this one writer, Celsus, lived 80 years after Jesus lived. And he was adamantly against the Christian faith. And so he wrote many, he, he wrote several little books basically refuting the Christian faith. And he, so he sought to undermine it. And one of his strongest arguments, and I'll paraphrase this, one of his strongest arguments was this, is that one of the reasons that we know Christianity cannot be true is because the accounts of the resurrection are based on the testimony of women. In fact, in his documents, he's basically saying that we all know that women are hysterical. Everyone and, and all his contemporaries, all his peers, who were not Christians, said, yeah, it's a problem. Yeah, it's a big problem. And so in the ancient world, women were, were marginalized. They had no voice in the court of law. And if Mark was making this up, if Christians were making this up, as some suggest, they would actually never say that women were the first eyewitnesses. They would never say that. The only way for the gospel accounts to make sense as the only way for the gospel accounts to make sense is for this to be true. For this to be history. Because the women were, really were the first ones to see the empty tomb. This cannot be legend. This cannot be make uh, fiction either. This must have happened or it would never have e existed. Mark is challenging you. Mark is challenging the inner skeptic in each and every single one of us because this is true history. Jesus really did rise from the dead in space and time and history. And so Mark is challenging us in a very specific way by mentioning him by name. When historic writers would do this, this is, they would, this is literally a footnote. He's say, basically saying, hey, you might not believe me, so go ask Mary Magdalene by name. You might not believe me, so go ask Salome by name. He's, he's giving the footnotes to this right now. Now, there's another reason why the woman being the first witnesses to the resurrection there's another reason that is significant for us, and it, it's related to this. These three women were social outcasts, and Mark is t telling us that what their report of the resurrection, but they are social outcasts. Consider Mary Magdalene, who, and we learned this from the Gospel of Luke in chapter 8, how she was possessed by seven demons, and, G and Jesus liberated from her demon possession. And that is recorded for us by Luke, who was a medical doctor. And so from this, we learn a very profound truth. And the profound truth is this, that no one can send themselves out of friendship with Jesus Christ. No one can send themselves out of, Jesus, out of friendship with Jesus Christ. I want, I want to come back to this because... Mark goes on to, to drive us home. And, but to move into our second point, all of this is, these witnesses, these three women are witnesses to the resurrection. And as they are witnesses to the resurrection, they are, they are given a, the announcement. 
of the resurrection. This is our second point, the announcement of the resurrection. And we see this in verses 4 through 7. And so when the women arrive, they see that their, their hope, their, not really their hope, but their question has been answered. They're coming to this tomb. They're saying, who's going to move the stone for us? And they come to the tomb, and the very large stone has been moved. And so they enter into the tomb. And as they enter the tomb, they see a young man sitting there. And this young man begins to talk to them. But at this point, these women are expecting to see this corpse. But instead, they see a young man. And, and all the details of this passage indicates that this young man is an angel. If you know how angels are described within the Bible, they are clothed in, in white many times. Not all the time, but many, many times. But whenever an angel would come and speak to people, they would actually say, do not be alarmed. Don't be afraid. Peace be with you. They would say those type of things. And so this young man is an, is an angel. And so this angel has an announcement for these women. The, this angel has good news for these women. And he gets into this. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell the disciples and Peter that he is going to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. This is the announcement. It's very brief. Like, and so the, the, this angel is telling the, these women to look at Jesus' grave. And he's not there. He is risen. In fact, Jesus is, go, is, is going to meet you in Galilee, just like he, he said. So go tell the disciples and Peter. And, and what this announcement is, this announcement is a word of grace. This announcement of the resurrection is sheer grace. It's sheer good news. It's literal good news. And it spills forward. It's good news for these women. It's good news for their friends, the disciples. It's good news for the world. It's, it's, so we see right here that the, the good news of the resurrection is a ripple effect. It has a ripple effect. And it's always moving outward. First and foremost, it's for us personally as individuals, just as it is good news for these three individual women. But it's also good news for their friends. This is also good news for our friends. It's also good news for the ancient world. It's also good news for our world today. But I specifically want to lean into why this is good news. Why is this announcement good news? And, well, first, and just to say it again, you cannot sin yourself out of friendship with Jesus Christ. Like, for example, look at whom these women are. are, are. Mary Magdalene was demon-possessed, and those, those demons have been cast out. But then also look at the, whom the angel is telling them to go to. Go to the disciples. Go to Peter and tell them this good news that Jesus has risen. Just think about that profound statement. If you know the gospel accounts, you know the lives of these disciples. First, think about Peter. Peter denied three times. Excuse me. Peter denied Jesus three times. And even as he denied Jesus three times, he actually cursed Jesus' name. He said, I do not know the man. I tell you I do not know the man. And he, and he would curse under his breath. And the rooster crowed three times. And Peter's name is mentioned here specifically. And it's a hint at the restoration that is coming to Peter that we find for, in John chapter 20. 
But this is a word of grace for Peter. Jesus is risen. If you think about, put yourself in, in Peter's shoes for a moment. Peter is one of Jesus' best friends. If you look at the, the, the gospel account in Mark very specifically, we know that Peter witnessed the resurrection we, we know, before Jesus. We, uh, we know that Peter witnessed the transfiguration. But Peter's also, Peter's last moment with Jesus is denying him three times. Imagine your best friend dying. And the last words you ever said to him was like, I hate you. I do not know you. Imagine that. And Jesus is alive. And imagine hearing that your, your, your best friend didn't really die, that he's alive, that you have the opportunity to, to re- embrace your friend once again. This is good news for Peter. Consider John, another one of uh, Jesus' best friends. But John ran away when Jesus' captors noticed him. And so the angel is telling uh, these women, tell him too. Think about James. James was in the Garden of Gethsemane with Jesus when, uh, the, the night that Jesus was arrested. But James did not stay awake in the Garden of Gethsemane to, to comfort and encourage Jesus. All these disciples, all these men that I've just mentioned, all these disciples abandoned Jesus. They all abandoned his side and they left a stranger to carry his cross. Yet Jesus is not coming to them with a word of judgment. He's not coming to them saying, shame on you. Like, how could you not have been a better friend? Jesus isn't coming to them with a word of judgment. He's not coming to them with a word of shame. He's coming to them with a word of grace. He's coming to them with a word of friendship. He's saying, go to my disciples. Go to my friends. Go to Peter. Tell them this news that, I, that Jesus is not dead. Tell them that Jesus of Nazareth is risen. And this is because Jesus is a friend of sinners. And there's another reason why this is good news as well. And if you think that the gospel is simply that Jesus died upon the cross for your sins, you need to hear this part very particularly. The second reason why this is good news is because the resurrection marks a new day. It marks a new day. And this is how the British writer G.K. Chesterton put it. On the third day, the friends of of Christ came at daybreak to the place where he was buried. And they found the stone rolled away. In varying ways, they realized the new wonder. But they hardly, but even they hardly realized that the world had died in the night. What they were looking at was the first day of a new creation with a new heaven and a new, and a new earth. And in a semblance of the gardener, God walked again in the garden, in the cool, not of the evening, but of the dawn. To put it again before you, the, the world, the woman died. The, the, the world, the woman knew, died in the night. When they discovered the empty tomb, it was the first day of the new creation. See, everything changed on this day. Everything changed on this Easter morning. These women came to the tomb looking for their beloved and dear friend Jesus of Nazareth because they regarded him just as another person. But you cannot come to Jesus thinking that he is just another person. You cannot just come to Jesus thinking he's just another teacher. You can't you have to come to Jesus knowing that he is the resurrected 
Lord of all things. Consider this, that which is written by, first, by, by Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. He says that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. You see what Jesus has done is that Jesus has brought about a new way of living. Old powers have been defeated and put to death. The old you has been crucified on the cross. And the new day has come. A new king is here. And the new you is alive. And we can see glimmers of this new creation in our life together. And as Mark actually ends this gospel, that's not clear for us. And this brings us to the third point. Because there's a very abrupt, open ending to, the, to Mark's gospel. If you look at the other gospels of Matthew if you, and Luke and John, if you look at the other, those three, other three gospel accounts, then you'll actually know that Mark's gospel, and specifically this ending, is very unique. For example, there's no mention of Mary's very personal conversation that she has with the gardener, who is Jesus, that John shares in his. Nor does Mark include the details of the Roman guards or the earthquake that either Matthew or Luke share. Mark is brief. He's very to the point. And there's another oddity to this. If you have a, a printed Bible, not, not in your worship guide, not on the, the wall behind, behind me, you'll notice that in brackets. You'll notice in footnotes the, the following line. Some of the earliest manuscripts do not include verses 9 through 20. And that's an oddity. That's, that's an oddity. And there is a consensus that verses 9 through 20 are, are not original to Mark. They're not original to the to Peter and his secretary, John Mark, they're, they're not original to him. In fact, the, the scholarly consensus is that these verses, 9 through 20, are actually an editorial that, that copyists put together to really, uh, to really bring about some uniformity with the other three Gospels. And they, they look at um, the other Gospel accounts, they look at the book of Acts, and there, there's... It's, that's just how it is, and, that, and that's the, the scholar's answer. But Mark just ends here, and I really just want to look at this abrupt ending right here. Because Mark just ends with this verse, verse 8. And they, these women who were witnesses to this resurrection, who were given this announcement of this re resurrection, this is how it ends. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. The end. The gospel ends with the woman in fear. And that's the point. This is an open ending. And if you look at the, the Bible, there's other stories that have an open ending, like Jonah, for example. Jo if you know the Old Testament story of Jonah, he's a prophet. He is called by God to go to the Assyrians, which are, were like really the most hated people uh, that the most hated people that Israel the Israelites just despised. And so he goes to Nineveh very reluctantly. He's dragged by his feet, and he is the most successful preacher in, in history. He just walks through Nineveh. He says, "Hey, repent! Judgment's coming!" And like the city repents. And so then he, and like he has a hissy fit. Yes, Jonah has a hissy fit. This is fascinating to me, by the way. 
And so he goes up on the hillside, and he's overlooking Nineveh, and he says, okay, God, I'm ready for you. Judge this city. He builds himself like a nice little, sh- uh, like, booth that has that gives him some some shade so he sees God judging this entire city and he has this hissy fit and the conclusion of Jonah is like should I not love this great city of 120,000 people who did not know their left hand from their right hand and a great many cattle should I not love this great city just ends right there see the point in that story is for you to answer that question Another place where that happens is the parable of the prodigal son in Luke 15, where we see the, this wayward prodigal son uh, coming back to the father after squandering his entire inheritance. And we, and we see this encounter between the father and the older brother out in the field. And the older brother says, this guy has wasted all, all his money, and I've been loyal to you, I've been faithful to you, I've been here every day of my life. And you never gave me a party. You never celebrated me whatsoever. And the father simply says, your, your brother who was lost is found. My son who was dead is alive. Come and join the party. Just ends right there. It's an, these open endings are meant to ask the question, are meant to ask us the question of what are we going to do? How are we going to respond? Should you not love that great city? Should I not come into the party? What do we do with this wonderful announcement of the resurrection now that we have heard it? Are we going to be paralyzed by fear? Or is this something to completely change our lives? Is this going to be something that we're going to share with our family and our friends and our coworkers? Or is this something that we're going to keep to ourselves? That is why Mark just ends this passage so abruptly. He, is, he wants you to decide. He wants you to make this, this decision on your own. What does this mean for your life? Are you going to keep this to yourself or not? But we also know how the story goes. We know how the story ends with Matthew and Luke and John, we see what, ha- what happens because of these women's decision. They don't just keep it to themselves. They tell others. And because of that decision, friends, you are here today. Because of this, the, these women's decision to share this wonderful news that Jesus is, has risen, that Jesus has defeated sin and death, we are here today. That is the wonderful story because what we see here is that Jesus is alive and well and he is at work in this world and that his story is unfinished. And his story includes our own very lives and what we are doing today in our life, what we're even going to be doing this week. This story is still being lived out and it includes you. And so this, the questions that Mark wants you to answer with his entire gospel with this entire gospel account is, what are you going to do? Because Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the anointed Son of God. Jesus is the one who died upon the cross, who was forsaken by God so that you would be embraced. Jesus is the one who also defeated sin and death and evil. What are you going to do with this? Are you going to walk in in the new life that he gives you? What are you going to do? Are you going to go and share the story? These are the questions that Mark is putting before you. But just to summarize with this one question, are you going to follow Jesus Christ, the one who 
was forsaken so that you would not be. The one who defeated death so that you would have life always with God. Let's pray.